Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Flight School Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Turner Medlicott, joined as always by Jonah Lossie and Adrian Walker. I missed the first pod this week. Like yeah, a you did. Yes, you did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> but I'm back for the all-important uh, college pod this week. Uh, we had so much happen that I, I couldn't miss. I couldn't miss this pod. But before before I get into that, I, I couldn't ask y'all earlier this week. So so how we doing? I know Jonah's sitting over there, about to to snap in half. But I I feel like. I'll give you two analogies. I kind of feel, kind of feel like Ron Swanson Parks and Rec when he has a hernia and he's stuck in his chair uh, for like twelve hours. I kind of feel like that, and my back kind of feels like um, if I was Joel Embiid and got pushed out of uh, midair by LeBron James. That's kind of where I'm at physically. <laughs> Touche. How about, how about you, Adrian? I'm assuming your your back is is fine. Your your my back is actually doing quite fine. Um, it's been above 85 degrees the past two days, so I've gotten outside, um, worked out a bit. It's been it's been nice. Didn't pull my back while I was working out, so yeah, it's been it's been al- good. I would also say my neck hurts too. So it's like my neck, <laughs> my back, and. Uh, <laughs> I would laugh, but I can't move, so. <laughs> yeah, uh, in contrast to that, I've I've been on spring break this week, uh, so I I really can't have any complaints. Oh, and, and you missed our pod while you were and on I mean, spring break? That was the one the one day I did work because I was I was oh, okay. oh, my grandma okay. out of her her old house. She she moved from Goldsboro. Sounds to, like an excuse to, to me. Yeah, well, how, I guess I, I guess I don't have the this the back the back pain to prove it, so uh, no excuses. Um, well, all right, let's let's dive into into what we got going on today, um, and that's the recap, uh, mainly just Final Four weekend. Um, and before we get to the national championship, because that was definitely something, uh, we got to talk about one of the best games of basketball I've seen in a very long time. Uh, in the Gonzaga UNC- UCLA game, um, almost said UNC. <laughs> I know. Were you I were know. you supplementing was... what 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 you were watching to watch the 2017 championship a couple times? Because <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> no, but I mean, I have not seen a game that that was that competitive and that entertaining from start to finish. Um, in a really long time, let alone how that game ended. Um, but I mean, I don't even know where to start with that game. Um, other than, you know, I feel like it was, everybody knew that Jalen Suggs was that dude. Um, but that, that game certified him in the national conversation. And I think to like casual fans that like, Oh no, he's, he's legit. Like he, he's got that dog mentality. Um, and that's that's how Gonzaga ended up winning that game, basically. Um, but what I guess were y'all's biggest takeaways from that game, other than just it being a fantastic game to watch? Well, I, I just kind of want to reiterate what uh, Adrian was saying on the first part of the week, and that's just that Jalen Suggs helped him out himself out probably more than anybody else uh, in the draft. Um, yes, it reasserted himself as a other than maybe um, Mitchell for Baylor, but uh, 
what he was able to do for Gonzaga. And I think part of the reason that we didn't hear his name quite as much is because it's Gonzaga. It's They play in a nobody yep. conference and they play on the West Coast of that, which we'll get to that in a minute, but I'm just going to be making asides because I actually didn't watch like the, the national championship because I felt like it was going to be a blowout. Um, so, uh, and the other reason I didn't watch it is because it was on a work night and it started at 9.15. Get out of here. What is that about? I know they was, usually start late, but not, come on. I don't care how far west those teams are. I was so sad and so mad. If it had not been spring break for me, I would have gone to bed at like halfway through the first half. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're jumping the gun. Um, I mean, I guess I'll let Adrian talk in a, in a minute. I think what we're all going to remember, what people are going to probably remember for longer is, of course, Jalen Suggs shot to end that game. Um, but that sequence um, with, I think, uh, under four minutes to play, maybe even under two minutes to play, where he blocked that shot. I Not only did he block that shot, like a block shot is, is a great play in crucial time, but it was a great basketball play by UCLA. It was a great feed. He had position, and Jalen Suggs just jumped higher and was able to control his body enough to block that shot, got the rebound, and then went up to about half court and without even like a good grip on the ball, pushed it ahead and threaded the needle with a bounce pass uh, for an easy score um, to, I think it was, um, it wasn't Timmy. It was the other, the other white guy they got. Kispert. Uh, Kispert yeah. Um, that was the most impressive thing I've seen in a basketball game in a very long time. And that's what I'm going to remember probably longer than I'm going to remember that, that shot um, just because that shot was cool, but like they didn't win the, the ship so it kind of loses a lot of its meaning that play though will will stand for a while i feel like i mean i mean, I, I think the shot's gonna stand for a while it'll be one of those fair. things that's replayed for the ncaa tournament obviously it doesn't have the same magnitude as the nova unc game i mean that's probably the best college basketball game that will be played like maybe ever but yeah. i mean that 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 game in itself like you said competitive start to start to end and then to to uh, jonah's point i think when you're on a team like gonzaga it's hard to and a team that is as dominant as gonzaga was this year it's hard to assert your name above everyone else on the team or just the team's name in general um it's it's sort of like the spurs a lot of times it's the Spurs first and then it's every player that's on the team. You don't think of a necessarily a name before you think of the Spurs franchise. It's the same sort of dynamic with Gonzaga. It's like, they just have a lot of really good pieces and you kind of think of Gonzaga first before you think of the players, but Jalen Suggs in those last two games, especially was able to kind of separate himself from the rest of his team because you could tell that he was the most, he was the best player on the court one and two, he was easily the most dominant player for Gonzaga. And whenever they needed someone to step up, he was the guy that was going to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. And I also think the, that the Sug shot will be remembered forever simply for that reason. I think Adrian mentioned it. I have, I heard from no shortage of people that, that said that's the best game of college basketball they've seen since 2016. 
um and that was that championship game and you know it, it's for me a top 10 all-time game like just straight up it was back and forth it was insane uh overtime game winning bank shot i mean Jalen Suggs said he'd always wanted to run up on the on uh, the block like Dwayne Wade and Kobe, and so that's why he did. Like, and it it was more than iconic. And even though he didn't win, he asserted himself as the best player in college basketball, and he got his Kodak moment, if you will. And it's going it raises draft stock, but it also, I mean, it kind of for me, unfortunately, I think that's for me that is the best player I've ever seen wear a Gonzaga uniform and they still didn't win. And, yep. you know, I was a dick before I said they weren't going to win. It. I said, that's <laughs> the one team I'm confident saying that's not going to win the championship. Why? I don't know. Cause they were in my eyes, probably they were also the best team coming in. Yep. They were the number one overall seed in my opinion too. I just said, they're not going to win it. And they probably should have, but I mean, Baylor were just unreal, especially physically, but, I don't know what it is with Gonzaga. They just can't do it. They just and, can't, and I don't know if they ever will. And that's a that's a good transition into the the national championship. Well, game. there's one other thing I want to say, um, which is, and, and Jonah mentioned this in our, our pro pod, but um, a play that'll get forgotten is Johnny Juzeg's shot to tie the game. I mean, that took major balls just to. I mean, he missed the first shot, and then to have the wherewithal to get your own rebounds and, and put the ball back up. And I mean, if, if I think if Jalen Suggs doesn't hit a 40 footer, UCLA goes on to win that game. Um, well, it's the same sort of thing. Maybe we're just UNC fans. So it's obviously etched in our memory, but I feel like only UNC fans talk about the Marcus page shot. Yeah. And only UNC fans talk about the Malik Monk shots. People yeah. don't think they, people it's people have to wait to go look back at the highlights because they see Luke May, they see Chris Jenkins, they're like, those are the gamers. But objectively, the Marcus Page and Malik Monk shots were better and more insane shots than those for, than yep. those two game winners. And that's what was so impressive about the Juzang is that Juzang's shot was all about hustle. Um, yes. And it was impressive, but then, you know, sucks that the game winner, so no one will ever remember. Well, and, and I feel bad for the guy because I feel like it's going to get forgotten that in the Elite Eight and Final Four, he dropped back-to-back 28-point and 29-point performances. It won't be forgotten with his draft stock, trust me. Not with his draft <laughs> stock, but, I mean, and it shot almost 60% against Michigan and shot 67% against Gonzaga. That, I mean, I feel like if he can play like that and translate that into the league, he's probably going to be one of those second-round steals. Um Oh, he's uh, a first-round pick now. He's well, first-round pick now. Th- there you have it. But if he falls to the second round, he could be one of those second-round steals. Um, but moving moving past that, I guess I, I I do wonder. You know, we talked about we want if Gonzaga will ever win one, and I I kind of feel bad for Mark Few because I I, I feel like he's going to end up having this legacy where he could build the program and do so much, but then just couldn't win the whole thing. Um, sort of, sort of like Roy Williams had um, at Kansas. That uh, was sort of his reputation for a little bit. Um, That's why I thought it was going to be perfect that Mark Few, you know, maybe they lose the national championship game, and that oh well, what happened to Roy when he lost in the national championship game? <laughs> he needed to find a place to win that felt like home. Uh, I don't know, but 
we have our answer there yeah yeah well we'll we'll get to that part of it but I, i do wonder how having such an emotionally i mean and physically exhausting game and it's an overtime game in the final four um hurt gonzaga going into that game against baylor because from the from the jump baylor just started out hustling them out rebounding them and baylor's not a good rebounding team that six five uh freight train of a man on on baylor what was his name um uh was it uh round mound or rebound 2.0 yes uh vital that man is six five and was out rebounding pretty much everybody on the court like first of all props to him but second of all if you're gonzaga and you've got like plate national player of the year candidate and Timmy, and he's getting out rebounded by some chunky six, five dude, like for whatever reason, maybe it's hustle. Maybe it's, you know, basketball knowledge. Maybe it's just wear and tear that final four game, but like they just looked unprepared to match the hustle and ferocity of Baylor let alone the fact that Baylor was running such an efficient offense and shooting the lights out, especially in the first half. Um, but I, I do wonder if they had been able to take care of UCLA a little bit more handedly, um, if they had not had that just compl- very emotional win against UCLA, if they would have been able to keep it closer or if the result would have changed. I don't think it would have changed because if Baylor plays like that against anybody, they're, they're beating everybody. It doesn't matter, but... I feel like it could have been a closer game had they been able to match that intensity from Baylor. I I, I think it was much more Baylor just being dominant because as good as Gonzaga was, it was there was physical mismatches in every aspect of the game except for Suggs, and even Suggs got bit at a few times by uh, Teague and Mitchell specifically. He couldn't hang with them, and that's the thing. Like those those Baylor Bears were just outstanding. But I mean, I definitely think it plays into it. I felt bad because my initial reaction was, well, that's what you get for not playing a real schedule, Gonzaga. And then I was like, wait, no, shut up, shut up, shut up. Because they played Virginia, (laughs) they played Iowa, they played Auburn, they played BYU twice. Like, they played, or three times, they they played a real schedule and a hell of a schedule uh, while going undefeated this year. So this was not a typical Gonzaga team. And that's why it's all that more. Um Though it is interesting because Timmy, while amazing, is not a huge guy. And so you could understand why he could get physically pushed around a little bit and why that team just couldn't really hang. Um, Because what Baylor did is they asserted themselves physically and they hit shots. If one of those things would have not happened, Gonzaga would have had a great chance. But if you get whooped defensively and then just on the other side, just they, they weren't missing anything for stretches of that game. Like it was, people were shocked when it got within 10 and Gonzaga's biggest lead of the year to that point, I think was 13 or something. So yeah, it it was a fascinating game because Gonzaga was clearly the best team in the country until they were very clearly not. It was, I'd have never seen anything quite like that where they've just been absolutely whooped by a better team in terms of the best team in the country, just looking like amateurs compared to these yeah, guys. That that's what I wanted to, to say was which is it's very well known that Gonzaga this year was the best team in the country. They entered the tournament as the best team in the country. 
And throughout the tournament, they still seemed like the strongest team in the tournament with the exception of maybe Baylor. And you come into that, that finals game following the UCLA victory, you're riding a high. And obviously with only a two day break or, or really one day in between um, it's a short period of recovery, but on that same, it's, it's still the national championship game. This is what you've played your entire season to get to. Um, for me, I did not understand. I didn't quite understand why it seemed like Drew Timmy was, was kind of half playing. Um, there was a point, I think, in the second half where he had the, – the Baylor bigs had fa- – two, two of them had four fouls. It was early. Um, it was yeah. like 16 minutes left in the second half early. Yeah. yeah, I believe it was 15 minutes or 14 minutes left. And uh, Timmy's out on the court, and he's got mismatches every single time down. And Gonzaga's whole game plan all year has been to play through Suggs and Timmy, and then, you know, you can branch out to Kispert on the wing whenever he's hot and whatever. So they tried to get Timmy involved. And in that span, I believe he had two points, two fouls, and two turnovers, um, while Baylor's two best bigs were on the bench with four fouls. And if you are in the national player of the year conversation and you're supposed to, you're trying to lead your team back from a deficit in the second half, that was a perfect opportunity and you absolutely squandered it. Like that, I, that was, I, I don't like to call out college players uh, because they are still in college, but that was a pretty pathetic performance for, from a national player of the year um, person. Player. And I hate going back to always just the UNC games, but it just happened to be their last national championship too. It reminded me very much of Karnowski. Even the week after the national championship was named best center in all of college basketball. After Kennedy Meeks held him O of six and just yep. absolutely manhandled him for about 30 minutes. And I was like, I think we just proved he's not the best center in college <laughs> basketball. Like that's pretty blatant right there. Like, Right. Kennedy outperformed him in every facet of the game. And so it just reminded me of that so much where while he was not their best player, Suggs was their best player. We all knew that. Yeah. He was a, he was kind of the most important player to them as a unit, and he completely fell apart. And that's why the team fell apart. And you hate to pin it on one guy. But to pin it on a leader I think is understandable because he, he would admit that he's a leader and he, he he takes on that responsibility and I think he would admit he was subpar but I think we can't really account for a like as Turner mentioned the exhaustion because not only did they play that crazy game but damn this was a condensed season traveling a lot you're in a bubble for the first time ever for the national championship you're emotionally exhausted and then you play against the most physical team you've played this entire time. And so after they waxed uh, t- um, Houston and had an easy game and got to rest all their guys. So it, it's a fa- it's fascinating. Um, it was boring. And I'm glad I didn't watch, but like five minutes of it, honestly. Well, it it's interesting because it was boring from a competitive aspect. But for some reason, I was just so enthralled with how 
well executed Baylor's game was from all from I mean there was maybe a four to five minute stretch where they didn't play all that well but almost from start to finish I expected them I don't think Gonzaga was going to come back but I, I mean Adrian I think you're in the same boat we kind of expected Baylor to kind of get too comfortable or let off their foot off the gas and maybe Gonzaga to ramp it up um, but that never happened because Baylor just continued to keep their focus and, and play with a ferocity and competitiveness um, that you just don't often see, um, or at least you don't see it and, you know, the game uh, executed as well as they did. Um, well, so, Well, I was saying, I was actually on the phone with a buddy while the game was going on and he was giving me updates and he was talking about like, wow, they are just shellacking them. And then we both had the same reaction because he then he stopped looking at it for about five minutes. And he looked like it's only a 10 point game at halftime. Holy hell, yeah. Gonzaga are going to yeah. win this game. God, what the hell? Like, because yeah. we're also UNC fans. So yes, that's, <laughs> that's also that that's also that part of it. But like you tell you tell Gonzaga, it's like one of those things with Roy Williams. You're down five at halftime. You tell him that at the beginning of the season, you're down five at halftime in the national championship. I'll take it every day of the week. I'd rather be up 10 or 30, but it's like, okay, yeah, but you're in the national championship in a very winnable game. Second half, Gonzaga easily could have come out and won. And then yep. it come close. It's crazy. Not, not even close. Um, the the one prop, I, we already gave him a ton of love. Um, but what impressed me too uh, with, with Suggs, um, in addition to his performance in the Final Four in this national championship game, is kind of the, the only player on Gonzaga, especially in the national championship that was performing um, to the level that we expected um, was the fact that like down 17 with maybe two minutes left, he, he was still hustling for boards and still just completely going all out. And as someone who has as high of draft stock as he has um, in a game that was, that was lost at that point, um, he could have easily sort of just kind of hung his head up in, in defeat and defeat and no one would have given him that much grief for it. Um, but I was impressed with how much he still wanted to win and contribute despite just kind of getting the belt all night. Um, and I think that's something that in addition to all of his performances and abilities and everything, that's something that will carry him pretty far um, once he gets to the league. Well, yeah, I I would back that up with Baylor's guards were that's some of the best guard play I've seen in college basketball. Period. And I, to he's pretty he was pretty much in a one v three all night yeah. um, <laughs> with Baylor's guards and Davion Mitchell's one of the most natural naturally gifted uh, guard defenders that I've seen in a minute as well um, coming out of college. And to go head to head with Davion Mitchell, who also, by the way, raised his draft stock um, significantly in this tournament to go head to head against Mitchell um, Teague and, and, and um, I'm forgetting the, the other guy's name, um, Jalen something, but um, to go uh, against those three Butler, Jared Butler, yeah, Jared um, Butler. to go against those three all night long, and to hold his own was that was really impressive. And to your point, Turner, 
with with being with, with having that capacity to continue to compete until the final buzzer there are only a few players that kind of have that competitive fire that will even when they're down 20 to continue to come out and just show up i mean you think about guys like damian lillard um guys like kobe um russell westbrook doesn't matter how far they're down what the score is you show up and you play until the, the buzzer sounds um, and that's a mentality that you would love to see out of an 18, 19 year old who's entering the NBA draft, who's going to be a top five pick. Um, that as, as if I was an NBA GM, that's a quality that I would look for, um, outside of, you know, just skills and talent. Um, it's one of those intangibles that you can't really teach. It's just something that someone has or they don't. I don't, I don't know if I would go, um, I don't know how much y'all talked about uh, draft prospects and, and stuff on the pro pod. So I don't want to get into it too much. We only talked about it a little bit. And I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a slower week, um, gotcha. especially now that college basketball's ended and the NBA draft's been announced. There will probably be a week, probably on the college pod, where we talk about uh, all of the NBA draft prospects and stuff like gotcha. that. Gotcha. Yeah. Cause I just like, kind of just to, to wrap that up and echo your thought, if I'm a team that has been struggling to build a winning culture, Pistons, uh, like a Pistons, <laughs> like a Minnesota, yeah. um, that's a player that could really revolutionize my team. Um, but like you said, I don't think they're savable. You know, who has, you know, who has that <laughs> in spades more than anybody in the NBA Jimmy Butler, and guess who needed to get out of Minnesota as fast as he damn could, okay? <laughs> Look what he did in Miami. They were just as good, if not worse, than who Minnesota had talent-wise. Screw Minnesota. That place yeah. ain't going nowhere, okay? <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, Christian Leitner's one of their best players in the last 30 years. <laughs> That's rough. Um. Yeah, and they've just they destroyed and disgraced their relationship with their actual best player. So that I, I want to hear y'all's thoughts on Davion Mitchell, though, because I, for me, I know we're 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 not going to talk about draft stuff that much, but for me, he raised his draft stock from about twenty to maybe top ten. Now I haven't pegged it around eleven or twelve. I've been putting together a, a draft big board for myself. I have him around like eleven or twelve um now after that turn i'm curious what y'all think of mitchell i did was not able to watch much of their um final four game um but just from the sample size that i got from the rest of the tournament and especially in this national championship game um i absolutely think he's a he's a top 10 potential talent um he i mean he's definitely got some some growth he's not your you know bonafide superstar like a top five pick top three pick would be um but he is by and far one of the better two-way prospects i think that we've seen in a couple years um he, he's got some work to do on the offensive end and of course that we'll see how that defense translates into the nba um but i was very impressed uh with his ability to attack on both ends and sustain that. Um, it wasn't like it, there was spurts of offensive ability from him or there were spurts of 
um, strong uh, defense. Now it helps when you have <laughs> Jared Butler and, and Teague to, to back you up, but still um, he's another one of those guys that if I were a GM, he just has some of those intangibles that um, can make up maybe for his, his lack of um, uh, talent or skills, at least initially. I'm fascinated because I think something that could really bolster him is um, how is he offensively, how does it translate? Because obviously, I think he isn't a tremendous offensive talent. But his shooting was a revelation this year. And I'm interested to see, can that A, maintain? And B, was it that simple for him? Where if you look at his stats... His first, he has, he's played three years of college. His freshman year was at Auburn. He shot 28.8% from three. His transfer sat out a year. Last year, he was 32.4% from three. And you're like, okay, this guy's just not a shooter. Last This year, he shot 44.7% from three. <laughs> and it's like, what the hell? How did he become Clay Thompson? And like, you know, <laughs> in one year, he went from being like, av- like a below average to bad three-point shooter to being one of the best three-point shooters in the country. And it, it, it was on almost five attempts a game. So, like, that kind of came out of nowhere. And considering he has had bad shooting in the past, when he kicks back to, to the NBA arc, if he can maintain that shooting percentage and continue, if he, my main thing is he can't rely on his ball handling because very few rook, NBA guards are worth a damn, even the best ones the first couple of years. Like, that is a rare talent. You're talking Damian Lillard. You're talking, you know, not even Steph Curry. You know, the, just Kyrie Irving. Yeah. It, Kyrie. You got like, I could probably name five in the last 12, 15 years or so. That's yeah. not good odds to rely on. <laughs> you need to work on that defensive shooting. If you become, become a 3 and D guy and then allow that to build, he could be a star in the league. I think he's definitely played himself into the top 10, guaranteed top 15 for me. Yeah, no, and I, I, I agree with both of you. I think he's – I've tried to come up with a player comp. Obviously, everyone's compared him to Donovan Mitchell because he wears number 45 and his last name's Mitchell. But they actually have very similar games um, for the most part. He's not going to be both Donovan. Six-two. Yeah, I don't think he's going to be Donovan Mitchell personally. I think he's kind of a Donovan Mitchell uh, – uh, uh, what's his name? Marcus Smart hybrid. Um, I think he's going to fall somewhere in between those two players. Uh, I, don't, I think his defense is a little bit better than Mitchell's, not quite as good as Smart's. And I, I think his offensive talent is better than Smart's, but he's not going to be quite the offensive weapon that Mitchell is. So I have him somewhere pegged in there as like his ceiling. I don't know if he'll reach it because he is a junior. I mean, you have to look at that when you're looking at NBA prospects. Um, he's a junior coming out of college, so – um, that he's already built some of that, that, that growth that you see that still freshmen or, or younger players can, can build into whenever they enter the league. I got to say, is there a more frustrating narrative in the NBA than old players? Because it goes, you hear both yeah. sides of it so blatantly. Man, they're so experienced. How could you let them slide? You know exactly what you're getting. And then the, the very other side, when they don't pan out, you're like, well, they already had missed those four years. Of course <laughs> they weren't going to be as good. It's like, 
shut up. Like, you can't handpick, like, whenever, like, for every Cam Johnson and Malcolm Brogdon, you got, you know, you got some rough people out there. You got a Sam Decker. Yep. Okay, you got some of these other guys that <laughs> Frank just do, do nothing. Well, see, Frank Kaminsky's still somehow a good player. He was so bad for so long, he finally became good. And I don't know how that worked, but he's actually pretty vital to the Suns right now, which is mm-hmm. funny because it's Cam Johnson. But, you know, um, I think he's a great talent. Um, he is going to be, what, 22, 23 this year, so that's tough. Um, that'll hurt his stock. If he was... A freshman, he'd be a top five pick, but oh, absolutely, without a doubt, because of the age, he could slide out of the top ten. But I don't, I don't, I don't, I think because of his national championship performance, his tournament performance, I think it cemented him into being a top ten just because it put his name in there. And then as Adrian and I were talking about, it's nice to have an NBA player in your corner. Yeah, and it's nice to have Donovan Mitchell, but go viral tweeting about every game of yours. Everyone starts paying attention to you. Fans, GMs, everybody. And, you know, they would love to have a little spider on their team. So that I, I think he's going to be great. Absolutely. Anything else that we need to mention from the national championship? Um, the only other thing that I'm curious about is what do you guys think is going to return for next year? Usually whenever, like, college season ends there's already people who are putting out their preseason rankings for the next season um do you guys have any sort of expectations or any teams that you kind of saw this year that you're like they're going to be real next year considering there are about 1500 players in the transfer portal and (laughs) um we haven't learned who's going to the nba yet um we haven't learned who what coaches are leaving you know I it's it's impossible to say except for maybe Gonzaga because you know they're going to bring a new influx of talent and I don't think Mark Few's going anywhere but they're probably going to be top 10 because god who are they going to lose to kind of thing um ACC teams I think Florida State has a chance to be good again um I again it just depends because technically Davion Mitchell hasn't declared for the draft and he denied that he has declared for the draft so I, I thought it was official that he got an agent declared. Did he not, today? I'm he not might sure. have. I'm not sure. He, I might know have, but, he denied initial rumors. But um, people play that crap up all the time, and it's like, well, people are like, well, Zion hasn't declared. It's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Sure he did, and then he was like, well, I did seriously consider it. It was like for how long? Five minutes? Like, <laughs> shut up. Come on. Yeah, you probably thought about it because you were there. Of course, you thought about it. You were still training. Yeah, I I think it's it's possible to say for maybe one team. I don't, I don't trust them a single bit. Um, But unless they lose a lot to the draft or transfer, whatever, um, I think Michigan and Juwan Howard are starting to build something out there. Um, I don't know if it's going to be next year because I just this off season for college basketball is going to be one of those crazy off seasons that we might ever see. Um, unless we have a significant rule change in the future regarding eligibility and things like that. Um, so I think it's really hard to peg anybody, but if I had to, um, I know they didn't make it as far as they would have hoped in this tournament, but Michigan is definitely building something out there in the Midwest. I think that that's a good pick. 
I think we're, I, I will say Michigan looks great, but I think uh, we're going to see the Big Ten just shut up a little bit next year because they underperformed um, yes. in the tournament. Shocker. Um, <laughs> uh, and I don't think they're going to be as stacked next year because there was a lot of senior-led teams like Luca Garza and uh, some of those other guys, and I don't think – I don't at least I don't think people are going to talk about it so much. Um, the Big Ten's a great conference, obviously, a lot of great teams, but – I think they've been a little overrated in basketball. Um, I mean, just like I saw, I can't remember who the hell said it, but someone was like, oh, man, Big 12, best conference in basketball. I was like, okay, you had one team win. They haven't won a championship in so damn long. What are you talking about? Like, Duke and Carolina have won, like, four in the, since the last time the Big 12 team had won it. So, I don't know. Yeah, regardless. Yeah, it's I come back to me in three weeks. <laughs> I could fair. in in three weeks genuinely, I might say Carolina look, will look like a good team to compete for the ACC. Like I genuinely think yeah. I could say that. I could also say that look, they look like they're going to be a top ten team in the ACC. It just depends. There are our entire. We think we're special because our entire fate lands on maybe two or three transfers. That's a lot of teams right now. Hell, yep. Miami just lost Chris Likes. No one even realized it. Yep. He just left, and people were like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> He's been like their best player for three years. It's like, oh shit. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be absolutely insane. Um, but unless y'all have anything else to add, that's going to be it for, for our college episode here. Um, well, we're be part re- one. Part one. I was going to say, we're going to be releasing uh, a special UNC basketball episode after this. Um, so definitely go listen to that that we took last week off. Um, and so we need to touch on the insanity um, and emotional uh, times that it is to be a UNC basketball fan right now. So um, be on the lookout for that. But for now, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Flight School Podcast. Uh, As always, you can follow us on Twitter at flight underscore pod. Um, And until that UNC basketball episode, we'll see you next week. I like the model.